Welcome to Tranquility Magazine Podcast with your host, Jasmine Maya Royce. So today I'm really excited for our fifth episode. The award-winning author, Dean Slider, has taught natural approaches to meditation and awakening since the 1970s. He gives talks, workshops, and retreats throughout the United States and beyond from Ivy League colleges to maximum security prisons. His media appearances have included NPR, Oprah, Friends Radio, Coast to Coast AM, The New York Times, USA Today, and he has written six critical, acclaimed books. Thank you for your time, Dean. I am so excited about today and our discussion. And I appreciate that you have worked on a cornucopia of books that I was excited about. Fear of Loss, Natural Meditation, Cinema, Nirvana, The Zen Commandments, and the newest release, The Dharma Books. Thank you very much. And I wanted to talk about a little bit for your natural meditation and how you came to that idea and created that book. So uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me here. It's, it's really lovely to be here. Um, I've been involved in meditation practice since the late 1960s, way before you were born. <laughs> and uh, I've actually been teaching meditation since 1970. And when I started doing this, uh, you really had to spend a lot of time convincing people that meditation was not some weird Eastern <laughs> hippie cult or, you know, beds of nails, flying carpets kind of things. By now, People know, you know, everyone knows, oh, meditation is good for you. My my brother-in-law took a meditation course at the Y and he lowered his blood pressure. So that part's taken care of. But the next part is most people think, yeah, but it's hard. I should do it. I should do it someday. Or I tried it. I tried to meditate, but I couldn't clear my mind. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't quiet things down, no matter how hard I tried. So the missing piece that I provide is showing people that <laughs> meditation is wasn't hard even though you tried. Meditation was hard because you tried that trying to meditate is self-defeating. It's like trying to, you know, take a big two by four or something and flatten out all the waves on the surface of the ocean. You just roil up the water even worse. And, uh, you know, any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind, that's a form of agitation. So that's the catch-22 of trying to meditate. Now, I was very fortunate early on that I started off as a Zen student with Zen teachers that were trying to get me to, you know, take that very trying approach. And I flunked out after about three days. It was clear to me I couldn't do it. So I found teachers very fortunately, who showed me, wait, there's another way. And the other way is don't try to flatten out the surface of the ocean. Just allow yourself to sink, allow gravity to take over, allow yourself to sink a couple of feet below the surface to where the water is always already silent. Okay. Underlying the activity of our mind, all the thinking and so forth, is silent beingness, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. We're supposed to, the mind is supposed to think thoughts, just as the eye is supposed to see shapes and colors. The ear is supposed to hear sounds. Now, if, if the Buddha were sitting here with us, do you think he would say, um, 
yeah, I could really be at peace if you just, you know, get rid of all the colors in the room here. <laughs> or I could really be at peace if the dog across the street would stop barking. Or no. And in the same way, the Buddha would not say, oh, I could really be at peace if these thoughts were not here in my mind. Because the, the Buddha is living by definition what a Buddha, a Buddha means to someone who's woken up. Yes. Right, someone who's fully awake. And and by definition, a Buddha is living all the time in the awareness of that silent beingness, which has always been there in the background of every moment of our life. And it's just a matter of spending some time paying attention to it, what we call meditation, natural meditation, so that more and more it comes into the foreground during daily life. And then the more that that happens, the more everything else in our life just kind of gets flavored by that so that everything against the background of that yummy silence uh just it kind of kind of takes all the the bumps and shocks out of things correct you know i agree in the beginning when you were discussing some elements and and describing meditation and talking about meditation to people and we're lucky that we both live in california where it's an open paradigm for some eastern ideas and discussions for topics and now it's very much a common concept to look at meditation and what it does and benefits for you and your mind. Mm -hmm. But when I was in England for a long time, people thought I was a little woohoo, what you say, and a little hippie mm -hmm. for them, uh, just discussing the idea of, of mm -hmm. figuring out a meditative problem solving concept with being a creative person and how I can use, you know, getting out of my ego into my spiritual connection, and then having a more common, which I think you you touched on in the other book, Fearless. It's like, which one is the narrative that's talking? The one that's fear-driven or the one that's more spiritual and love-driven, I guess I would say from my personal mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. But meditation is very important. And I'm happy that you do a meditation class via Zoom and YouTube for everyone that wants to try it out and learn from you specifically. And I'll put the link in the bio for Dean Slider's website, which has the content in there. So you can join up to figure out meditation is a first intro course. And I would say, you know, understanding meditation, there's a myriad of different ways that you can go about it. And mm -hmm. everybody has a different construct and we learn from different people in different ways, but you always have like a great speaking voice because that's from what you do for a living. It's, it's, it's very like guided. I'm like, I'm already, you know, in my Zen moments to speak, but, and you have experience. Yeah, let me let, let, let me just just mention before we move on that um, my Zoom sessions are offered three days a week at different time slots and that they're all free. They're always free and they're always open to everyone. Yes, I, I appreciate that you do this already. And a lot of people that haven't really explored meditation, you're an excellent teacher to impart some wisdom because you've had the experience of these numerous pilgrimages, which I'm you know, all on board for myself. I would love to do these, but you went to India, Tibet, Nepal, and the West. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about who you spoke to and what you kind of came out of maybe one of these experiences learning more in depth about. Well, they've all been valuable. Um, you know, going to, for example, uh, in, in one of my trips to India, I managed to spend a little bit of time sitting in some caves, uh, you know, famously some some very illustrious enlightened sages had spent, 
you know, weeks or months or years meditating in those caves. And it was really, you know, because I used to always just kind of as a comedy line, I would say, you know, meditation doesn't mean you have to sit in a cave, which is, which is true, but to get inside the cave and go, oh, right. This is to be in that deep, deep silence. Uh, there is a quality of silence when you're in this, you know, deep in a cave that is diff You don't realize how much background noise there is. I mean, right now I'm sitting in my, my living room on a quiet street in Santa Monica. I say it's quiet here, but it's really quiet in those caves. So, so that, but, but really that outer quietness, no matter how deep it is, all it can do is kind of remind us of the inner silence, which is our own being. And and that, fortunately, we have everywhere. I mean, what's been more valuable to me in as a student and a teacher of meditation has been being in noisy places. Like, I love going to New York City and meditating in the subway because it's really loud there it's really chaotic and and you know i can close my eyes or you know eventually you don't even necessarily have to close your eyes mm -hmm. you know because you're just living that silence more or less all the time and sink into this and oh yeah it's here too this is why I, one of the reasons why i love working with with prisoners because they live in an environment where there's no chance for silence, mm. where it's just chaotic and noisy um, all the time. And I would be sitting with uh, my group at Northern State Prison in Newark, New Jersey, in the so-called chapel, which is really kind of a, uh, a, um, uh, a, like a bunker, like a brick bunker with this big speaker right above our heads. And we'd be meditating several times in the course of the meditation. You would hear a voice Attention all areas, attention all units, <laughs> Spanish choir out to the gym, Spanish choir out to the gym, or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And we'd just be sitting there meditating, uh -huh. you know. And, and and so 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 prison and prisoners have been great teachers for me, as much as the you know, the most revered sages I've had the privilege to sit with. That's amazing. Like for two aspects that I'm I'm discovering and I'm seeing very topically when we started with you going to a cave in the silence and now we've gone through our own journey in the past pandemic where we were at home alone in the silence of our own thoughts and either people had to wake up from that or work on it or they just were having a really difficult time dealing with that alone space I have a lot of musicians and artists that require that energy from an outer outer position and they didn't know what to do with themselves and we talked about meditation as a concept but I agree with you. I love New York. I love energy, but it took me a long time for meditation, being a person that does audio, not to hear everything that's going on outside because I pay attention to it so much, how to shut that off. Mm -hmm. Prisoners, I'm sure I'm not experiencing that. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the, here's the good news here. I want to, I want to be really clear about this. You don't have to shut <laughs> yes. anything off. It's like when you're sitting and, and if you, it's like when you're sitting at a cafe, enjoying your, you know, slice of, of rhubarb pie or whatever you're eating and all at all the tables around you, people are having their conversations. Mm -hmm. And if you sit there going, okay, I've got to shut off all those conversations so I can enjoy my slice of pie. 
And then you go around trying to shush people you know, because they're being so rude, interrupting your enjoyment of your, your point. And again, this is what, this is how people, well, two things. One, this is how people quote, try to meditate by trying to shut off the noises and trying to shut off their thoughts. And then number two, this is how people try to, you know, be peaceful in the, the outer world by, by shutting things off. Now, the thing is, you know, everyone knows how to just enjoy the piece of pie and the, the conversations are there in the background. And we, we, as long as we don't mm -hmm. try to mess with them, they don't mess with us. It can, we can peacefully coexist with them. We, we, we just ignore them. But then people, once the moment they, they're, they're starting to try to meditate, <laughs> they forget about that. They forget how to do that. It's so correct. I just so, like, I understand it's, it's also an element when you're in a space like that, where it's chaotic noises, it's a little bit, if you're not actually meditating itself, being present in your moment, that you're in your silent space with yourself. And that takes some learning and getting used to the idea of silence in a crowded environment or a noisy scene mm -hmm. and how do you not that affect you as much or get mad at yourself that you're not really yeah. you know getting in the flow or figuring out how to like go, go back because you you listen you acknowledge for what i yeah. i acknowledge what you say yeah. i'm carrying yeah. on <laughs> and it's even simpler than that you know it's there there's an example that's um, traditional in India, where and I and I've seen this done, where the weavers will take, say, a piece of white cloth and they want to dye it red, so they dip it into a bowl of red dye, and then they take it out and it's nice bright red, but then they stretch it out on a flat rock in the sun, and the sun bleaches out a lot of the color, mm -hmm. but a little bit of it remains color fast, so then they dip it again faded again but after a few times now it's permanent bright red so in the same way when we meditate it's like dipping our mind into that place of yummy silence and then we come out into the the outer environment and you know maybe the first few minutes after meditation you go oh man i got my buzz on here this is you know <laughs> and then you lose it and you go oh damn i'd be you know but really a little <laughs> bit of it sticks and then we come back, meditate again. It's really good to meditate. You know, you don't have to do it for hours and hours, even 15, 20 minutes, but it's really good to do it every day. And by repeatedly dipping, fading, dipping, fading, we don't have to go through a lot of, okay, how am I going to go with the flow and all this? It's just automatically there. It's really in the way that your nervous system functions. The nervous system gets retrained how to reflect the inner silence along with all the outer noise and activity. Uh, yes, exactly. It's like you find your Zen zone, which I, as a creative person myself, it's just like, oh, I'm I'm flowing with it. I, I feel mm -hmm. like after I come out of a meditation, I'm able to see things clearer yep. and I can make decisions better. Yep. I can also not be affected by, I, at one learning, I'm empathic. So getting close to people and they're having a difficult day, I take all that on. And then it, my day ends up being difficult for some reason, because I'm resonating mm -hmm. with what they're experiencing. And I had to lurk a lot on the understanding about, you know, blessing them in their own journey and then mm -hmm. not taking their energy on. And that was a tool that I used for meditation and how to ground out and let go of something that's not mine and what is actually mine. Mm -hmm. And then that was kind of 
why I got invested in kind of discovering meditation and the tools that I could use going forward in my future, because it helps me after like, I get a critiquing moment that's like, I have a difficult moment solving a problem that I can't figure out. I do movement meditation sometimes, I go on a long walk and then circle around for a, a long time. And that helps me let go and let go of the moment and be in the new moment and appreciate by just being there. And then some spark of inspiration will come through about how I can solve something. Yeah, you know, walking, it can be very, very useful and and delightful in that way. Even if, you know, we never even think of the word meditation. Uh, a lot of creative artists, a lot of writers, uh, you know, my latest book, I have a chapter about Henry David Thoreau, one of my favorites. And and the, you know, people that knew Thoreau said, you know, the he, he couldn't write without walking. And the, the amount that he could write in a given day was directly correlated to how far he had walked that day. <laughs> uh, and, and there's there's actually uh, and I, I, I actually in my book, Fear Less, I have a whole chapter about this mm -hmm. and how in some um, uh, companies now, particularly uh, tech companies, if it's a small meeting of three, four, two, three, four people, rather than sitting in an office, they'll go out and walk together mm -hmm. and talk about things while they're walking. And they usually find they can come up with much you know, better, more creative solutions. Yes, I would agree. I think I've used this tool occasionally also with a relationship mm -hmm. and we'll go on movement and together discussing things that we had some animosity towards or difficulty and using it as a tool to be adults about it and have like discussion and then walking it off to whatever, you know, decision we had to make or we're making and a more balanced interaction rather than dramatic blame game. And yeah. so I agree. And there's a lot of tech people out there that would be advisable for learning some form of meditation because the inspiration that comes from it is a beautiful um, you, you know, I, I once in a great while, I will officiate at a, at a wedding way back in, uh, 1969 I sent in my five bucks and I was ordained as a <laughs> minister in the universal life church so so I'll sometimes uh, officiate at, at weddings for friends mm. and the one piece of advice that I give the bride and groom is I tell them take a walk together every day <laughs> no and really it's mm -hmm. it's it's huge I've been been married twice my first wife passed in 2004 and I'm you know very fortunate to be married to a, a second wonderful woman and in both cases you know we've we've done that we we always walk together and the fact that you're rather than sitting in a room uh literally confronting each other you know facing off against each other with kind of the you know whatever problems may have or unresolved feelings may have come up you know kind of bouncing against the walls instead you're out walking in the fresh air mm -hmm. and you are literally facing the same way yes. you're literally seeing seeing things the same way mm -hmm. and as you're walking you know because walking is a cross-lateral activity as your left foot steps your right mm -hmm. hand swings out as your right foot steps your left hand swings out and what that's doing is harmonizing and in integrating the functioning of the left and right cerebral hemispheres of the brain which is to some degree that emulates what happens deep in meditation 
that kind of harmonizing uh, activity. So uh, yeah, take a walk. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I'm fortunate that you're discussing this because it's been something that I've resonated with a lot of my friends that have been married for a long time or shortly into it. And I was like, okay, there's certain things like I recommend reading a book together, having a discussion topic, but also movement together. Like it makes exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You're we're walking at the same pace at the same destination. We're not facing off. We're not mad. We're not inside. Nature is a very balancing idea. And that's why I get like Buddhist and Taoist kind of philosophies in my lifestyle that I want to be around nature and I want to be ne next to it because either in an ocean or the mountains, it doesn't matter. It's very appreciation for what I'm seeing. And Thoreau probably discusses more of that in his book, which is very much an important one for me. And, you know, it's the stillness or also the noise that are not as uh, city-like. It's like a bird or a, a, like some rustling in a bush or some tiny things that is an entire life that's there outside of myself. And it reminds me that even though I'm here, there's other things that the world is operating without me if I'm finding my peace with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I am really excited about your next book or just new release, mm -hmm. um, Dharma Bums, which uh, just came out. Okay, first, let's be clear about the title. Okay. okay, because the Dharma Bums was a novel written by Jack Kerouac in yes. 1950 something. It was published. So my book is the Dharma Bums, and I'm playing off of Jack Kerouac's title. This is the Dharma Bums Guide to Western Literature. So it's a slightly lighthearted title. And this book came out of two passions of mine, one which we've already discussed, meditation and awakening through the process of meditation. And the other is literature. For 33 years, I, I taught literature and writing and also meditation at a really high-class prep school in New Jersey, the Pingree School. Um and, you know, the my students included, you know, they were from families of of some, you know, very big Fortune 500 companies and and families and politics and so forth. A lot of names you would recognize. And so I was very fortunate to be able to teach a lot of smart kids. 33 years, I would largely teach the same books every year. So I'd come back mm -hmm. every September. Now I'm teaching Huckleberry Finn again. Now I'm teaching Macbeth again. You know, now I'm teaching the the poetry of Walt Whitman and Emily Dickinson again. And, you know, meanwhile, in the summers, I'm going off on meditation retreats. So I'm getting deeper and deeper into this literature and starting to see the connections between the literature and this whole awakening process and, and seeing these connections. And I had previously written a book, a, a book I wrote in 2005 is called Cinema Nirvana, Enlightenment Lessons from the Movies. And uh, because I'm also a major you know, movie fanatic. And uh, in that book, I took movies and I deliberately did not write about any movies that you would ever think of as spiritual or enlightened in any way. So I write about Jaws, The Godfather, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Casablanca, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and show how, you know, if you really look deep into them, all the enlightenment teachings, all the teachings of the Buddha, all the teachings of, of the gospels, it, it, it's all there. So I do the in the new book, I do the same thing for literature. So I show how, for instance, let me, uh, can I read a little passage here? Yeah, 
absolutely. So here's a passage from from Huckleberry Finn, and this is after Huck has been kidnapped he, 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 uh, by his his drunken father and being kind of held prisoner in a, in a little cabin in the woods. Uh, after a particularly terrifying drunken rap, rampage in which Pap, that's his father, Pap nearly kills him, Huck engineers a nighttime escape from the hut, making it look like he's been murdered and dumped in the river. Then he takes off in a salvaged canoe. What comes next is expressed in a sequence of perfect sentences. And then now I'm quoting from the book from Huckleberry Finn. I didn't lose no time. The next minute I was a spinning downstream, soft but quick in the shade of the bank. I got out amongst the driftwood and then laid down in the bottom of the canoe and let her float. I laid there and had a good rest and a smoke out of my pipe, looking away into the sky. Not a cloud in it. The sky looks ever so deep when you lay down on your back in the moonshine. I never knowed it before. And then I say, then my commentary, this is about as clear a baptism in the transcendent as anyone has ever written. After the hectic scramble to get clear of his father, Huck lets go, lying on his back in a posture of utter passivity. He gives up rowing and steering, allows the boat to merge anonymously with the mass of drift, drifting timbers and basks in the moonlight. This is how to meditate. Let her float. And the result is a vision of unobstructed boundlessness. The sky looks ever so deep. In fact, a favorite method in Tibetan Buddhist practice is namkai naljor, sky-gazing meditation, literally gazing open-eyed into the ever-so-deep sky and losing yourself in it. So, you know, and I started seeing things like that. I've said to myself, what, am I the first person to see this stuff? <laughs> I better write this down. And then, you know, I'd see it in Macbeth and the great Gatsby and Moby Dick. Mm. And so, you know, and, and in Edith Wharton and in, I've got one chapter on Dr. Uh, Dr. Seuss book, the cat in the hat oh, and, goodness. you know, made all sorts of wonderful kind of enlightenment discoveries about the cat in the hat. So it was great fun. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate there's two things that I wanted to agree with you on. I like the fact that you did borrow the name from Jack Kerouac, mm -hmm. which I have invested before, but the Dharma Bums and the Guide to Western Literature is a great balancing of unpacking certain authors and certain books. I had a moment where I was like, it's like the lost poets, you know, because <laughs> you're also a teacher. I want to give alms to every teacher out there mm -hmm. because a teacher can build your world and your imagination when you're still trying to figure it out. And orientating yourself you start the book talking about a teacher that has inspired you to do the career that you love and I feel you on that because I had a teacher that did the same for my literature I felt like it was mm -hmm. full-on failure for like ever and I was like got a great teacher mm -hmm. and then just changed everything so great teachers can help a lot of uh, uplifting and you discuss that you use meditation sometimes when you're, mm -hmm. you're working with your students. And I appreciate that idea because it probably helps so many kind of take a moment and rethink 
things that we're reading in a way that it's also where they are mm -hmm. in their timeline and what they're going through. And when you meditate a lot, you have, you keep, it's like calling to you all these things that you're either practicing and now you're seeing it in a way that's a different version of Yeah, and, of and I science. say in the book, I, th I think I say something like this near, at, in, near the end of the book, that, that what I hope you'll get from this book is not only that that the infinite is there, you know, even if it's been unrecognized, not only that the infinite is there everywhere in literature, but it's there everywhere in everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I write about literature because I'm a literature guy. But if I were a geologist, I would write a book about, you know, enlightenment in rocks <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and, and that whatever you do. So if you're the geologist, if you're flipping real estate, if you're raising children, there's a way to do it so that it becomes what we call a Dharma gate, a, a, a doorway into awakening. Yes. And, and once you kind of catch the you know, kind of catch the rhythm of that. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like dancing with a really good partner. <laughs> exactly. You One know, of my favorite things. That, we, that, 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 that helps you find the groove. Oh yeah. I didn't realize I was capable of such smooth moves. <laughs> it's great. Cause it's true. Like you're, you're reading something or you're meditating on something and it keeps like appearing in your life in different forms that you're like, I'm seeing this in a newer way, but still the same thing. And I'm, calling to it in a way that I didn't realize what it's trying to give me in my knowledge because I'm ready and open to see it. And I keep mm -hmm. reminding myself all the time, I'm ready and open, like show me something I've never seen before, because I could see, like you were talking about, you could see a book every semester for a thousand times. And now you have a moment that you're like, Oh, I got something else from that. And I love that sure you did the intro for somebody that I followed. I call him my touchstone, William Lake. Mm -hmm. And po poetry is a lost art in a way that a lot of people don't really understand or don't want to learn about. I, like as a person that used to write lyrics, I learned lyrics through poetry. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, how do you express what they're actually meaning? You, you taught Macbeth, but also Shakespeare. Shakespeare is a lost language, but it's not if you, you know, resonate and see it, it is more action. He does have sonnets and poetry as well, but, and it's very much universal, but it has to be understood in a way that that's classic English rather than modern American. Mm -hmm. So words are very different mm -hmm. and words are very powerful and how they're expressed and how they're shown is like, it's an undercurrent that you either have to get on the boat and ride the current, or you're just going to step yeah. off and argue that it's different. You know, an interesting thing about Shakespeare is that, you know, so many of his plays uh, are still performed and, you know, made into films again and again. God, how many films have there been? A, a, <laughs> we just got a, a, a new <laughs> Macbeth film uh, a oh, year yeah, recently, or two ago by, by ago? Joel yeah. Cohen uh, with Denzel mm -hmm. Washington. And when you see Shakespeare performed well, mm -hmm. it's not difficult to understand the language Correct. because the, you know, the good actor brings it alive and, and we have to keep coming back to the Shakespeare plays because they, they talk about things that are so deep within us. You know, in my chapter on Macbeth, uh, there's a line I quote where Macbeth is uh, starting to walk down the hallway on his way to assassinate Duncan, who's 
who's asleep in a bedroom at the end of the mm -hmm. hall. Um, uh, uh, he's going to assassinate him so he so Macbeth can become the king. And he starts to hallucinate as he sees this ghostly dagger mm -hmm. floating in front of him, leading him down the hallway. And he says, is this a dagger I see before me, the handle toward my hand? And I make the point in the chapter, there's always something. We always see there's a way that if we can just, you know, kind of convince ourselves for one minute that, no, it's okay. I can, you know, I could grab, you were, you know, you're in church on Sunday. I could scoop a 20 out of the, mm -hmm. the collection box here. No one would know. Or, no, it's really okay for me to sleep with this wildly inappropriate person. They, they'll, they'll be no blowback from this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the handle is always toward our hand. Yeah. There's always that opportunity. If we can just convince ourselves <laughs> the morality as Macbeth, you know, unfortunately convinces himself that, yeah, we can step into the no karma zone. <laughs> yes, right. Correct. You know, what happens in the no karma zone stays in the no karma zone. And then we can come out and enjoy the 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 fruits of it. Boy, boy it just never works. And, and and that's why we have to keep reading and keep seeing Macbeth over and over. Well, I think it's a beautiful piece and there's a lot of infrastructure, but I would agree with you. You need the right set of actors because we love stories as a construct of being human. We love storytelling. We love um, resonating with a story or even lyrics or music that does the same thing. And it's the emoting that is good enough when you could become the character and feel the emotions and the experiences when they're going on their own journey and what happens in the fine tooth outcome of their realization or their different inspiration moments or their difficulties that they're trying to have a battle you were saying like someone jokes like karma sucks it's like okay karma will come and get you <laughs> you you overstep in a way that it's not really something that you feel that it's a good decision mm -hmm. even if it's desperation you will clamor mm -hmm. in anything for survival but is it a de decision that you want to live with and what it's going to do to you but this is one of the things that i i loved about being an english teacher is mm -hmm. that i got to read this stuff out loud to my students you know so i got all the best parts yes <laughs> I, <laughs> you can play I, all the characters That's exactly <laughs> i get to play all the characters i get to be macbeth and duncan and you know and and just really try to bring the you know bring bring all that language alive for for students and that's really helped me with my own writing and this is a thing i really when people ask me about writing the my number one recommendation just like the number one recommendation for marriage is take a walk together every day <laughs> my number one recommendation for for writing is read out loud read out mm -hmm. loud the work of writers that you admire because you're going to hear the music of it. You're going to hear the structure of it in, in uh, when you read it out loud in ways that you won't get any other way. And then you have to read your own stuff out loud Correct. and then, and then go back and rewrite. Yes. 
so smart and so informative for writers because I learned that too. And that's a way that you go through and you could re-edit a passage because it doesn't really work in a flow or it doesn't really resonate or you had something that you didn't need there anymore. You can go back and pass through. But also being humble about it, I, I joke that I've been doing audio for so long and re-reading other people's scripts. And I was like, you probably didn't read that before you sent it. And then also it, it takes the requirement of, of reading and, and then figuring out what you're trying to express and teach and yeah. or someone else is already teaching you that you have to you, you, you know the other thing that's helped my writing a lot is that i've i sometimes moonlight as an audiobook narrator yeah, well you have a great voice so it makes sense <laughs> thank you uh-huh. um yes thank you the the the, the velvety baritone pipes mm-hmm. uh uh, yeah, they, they work nicely as a guiding meditation. I know. I was like, I'm packed on for the meditation. I'm Everybody <laughs> listening is already ready. They're like, okay, can I find it? And that's what right. happens with meditation in the ease of the speech and the temperance and the time it takes because right. you have, I had to get used to the idea of doing radio that a moment of silence in the middle of a conversation is okay. Cause you're like, yeah. It's okay. You let things, let things breathe. You, you need, you need that. Yeah. Actually it's the thing that, that I'm not fond of is you'll see on some YouTube videos, some po- podcasts where they cut out the, the, the breathing spaces yeah. and, and it makes it inhuman. It makes it robotic. Yeah. Um, but but I started to say that in working as an audiobook narrator, and I've narrated my own books, mm-hmm. but also narrating other people's books, I've I've had situations so many times where I realized just what you said a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, they didn't read this out loud. Mm-hmm. Like if only the author were here right now, I could show them. You know, <laughs> just let me put a semicolon here, mm-hmm. and then it'll work so much better. Just let if you in this sentence, if you had just moved the verb to the mm-hmm. beginning of the sentence instead of where you've got it at the end or something. But you know, as a narrator, you're not allowed to do that. You're oh, not no, allowed I to know. mess with the text. <laughs> But it is true, though, also in an understanding that I do, I send like elongated text messages and I have to reread it all like a couple times before I sent it. So it's just like for business or anything personal, I need to make sure that it's detailed and I read it out loud a couple times. So you can go all the way to novels doing this, but the simplest task as well. You're just like, did that make sense? Is that clear enough? Because punctuation is, a. I always complain, I get in trouble for my Oxford commas here. And uh, it's like different punctuation means different things. So what are you trying to tell me with your words that you're not speaking to me? And that can be very different. The Oxford, the Oxford comma, you'll, you know, they'll have to pry that out of my cold, dead hands. (laughs) Good man, good man. Yeah. So uh, by the way, by the way, my possibly my favorite challenge as an audiobook narrator, I once narrated a book that was about investment strategies. (laughs) And and half of the book was equations. Oh no. I swear to God, in equations. And I said, you know, and I don't know who would really listen to that on audio. You'd want to see those equations in front of you, but I said, Okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm getting paid. I'll tell, I'm, I'm going to be a professional. I'll take the challenge. I'm going to work out how to read these equations in a way that makes them meaningful. You know, I'm going to read these equations like they're poetry. <laughs> well, 
Congratulations, if you! I'm sure you've done it. And for me, I, I, I God knows I try. Oh yeah, I'm a visual person when it comes to numbers, so I want to see it in front of me. So, but you probably have challenged that obstacle and completed it. But I am very excited for the listeners to pick up your book, The Dharma Bums Guide to Western Literature. It's available on your website that will be linked below, and also your meditation classes and the YouTube and the Zoom are accessible through your website that will be in the bio. And I appreciate your time today, Dean. It was my pleasure to have you as my guest, and I'm looking forward to your next book coming up, which I know is going to come soon. <laughs> One point. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. My name is Jasmine Meyer Royce, and I'm your host today for our fifth episode of Tranquility Magazine podcast. Thank you very much for Kevin Lincoln for our introduction, as well as Magda Big Murphy, who does all our social media. So we're available on all social media platforms, as well as you can find us on tranquilitymagazine.com, where you can subscribe to get our updates for our articles and podcast information every month. We'll look forward to seeing you for our next episode. Take care and my pleasure to be with you today.